Chapter 2 On the way down Jack looks good for his age, as he stands before the window of his shabby third-floor walk-up, and stares out into a cold grey day. Though in his late sixties, he has the appearance of one in his mid-fifties. He has an athletic look which is further evidenced by the absence of the usual beer belly, sported by many men of his age. He stands erect, lacking the stoop one might expect of an elderly man. He bears a full head of hair, with little graying, except at the temples, and a little in the eyebrows. When he neglects to shave, snow-white whiskers help to reveal his true age. It is for this reason, that he rarely appears publicly unshaven. Laziness has never deterred him from his morning grooming duties. It is only when the rare bouts of devastating discouragement and despair overwhelm him, that he fails to attend to them. Looking good on the outside just may help to make you feel better on the inside, he tells himself. Unfortunately, his self-admonishments don't always work so well. In spite of his attention to his outward appearance, Jack's constant inner voice and his vengeful thoughts, continue to wear on him mentally. How did it happen? He thinks to himself for the millionth time. It is rhetorical and, he knows the answer. Still it is hard to accept, without stirring up the rage which boils within him. Fearing the angst this repeatedly causes, he chases the thoughts away, and continues to stare. Relief is brief, and it again floods his memory. He is right there once again back on that Wednesday morning. He was seated at his desk working. It was approaching 6 o'clock, when the door opened and in walked Mark, his co-worker. Don't you ever go home? Jack looked up and replied, gotta finish this up. Why are you here? He asked Mark. I left early and forgot my phone. Ought to come back for it. You know there's no time in a half year, don't you? Mark quipped. Yeah, I know. A day's work for a day's pay, but not a day and a half's work for a day's pay, Mark answered. I guess I'm just a company man, always have been. I can't help myself, that's just the way I was raised. So, you're blaming your mother for your being stupid, Mark answered with a laugh. Gotta blame somebody, and it can't be me, Jack replied, while turning back to his work. Well, have a good night. See you tomorrow. Mark closed the door and disappeared. Staring through the dirty windowpane of his dingy tenement apartment, Jack continues to recall what happened several days later. He was working at his desk, the door opened and again Mark was there. Only this time there were no smiles or cajoling comments. Hey, bud. It's here. What's here? Remember all those rumors that were going around? Mark answered, I told you a month ago about the big guy selling off a shitload of company stock. Yeah, I remember. I told you then that I'd heard both of Wheeler's daughters were getting married and the receptions weren't going to be held at a VFW hall. I thought that was why he was selling, Jack replied. Looks like you guessed wrong. Mark paused for a moment, then continued. Well, it doesn't make any difference anyway. The feds are downstairs right now. Better start packing. What do you mean? Jack asked. Tyron is belly up. The party's over, bankruptcy. But our stock price is up, and... As Jack began to stammer in reply. Two men in black suits appeared at the door behind Mark, who stepped aside. They entered holding up their badges as one of them explained tersely. We're sorry to tell you that Tyron has declared bankruptcy. We'll have to ask you to gather your personal belongings. Someone will inspect them at the door on your way out. Thank you for your cooperation. At that, they both turned abruptly and headed to the next office down the hall. Jack slumped back in his chair, startled. An hour later, he walked to his car carrying a paper shopping bag filled with the meager possessions he had salvaged from his desk. He put the bag in the backseat and then got in. Jack just sat clutching the steering wheel in Tyron's nearly empty parking lot. 
He stared straight ahead in a trance-like daze. At the far side of the parking lot a cat was approaching a large flock of blackbirds. They then soared away from the puddle at which they had been drinking. He watched as they vanished into the distant grey mist. Jack sighed deeply and started the car, before he too, vanished into the mist surrounding Tyre. Jack stands solemnly before the closed coffin, while meeting the line of mourners. His daughter Jane, stands by his side. I can't tell you how sorry I am. She put up a long hard fight. Thanks Arnie, Jack answers. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. She was a good woman and a wonderful mother, Jane, Jack's daughter replies. A little while later Jack is on the sidewalk, looking back at his daughter who stands in the doorway of his old house. Do you think you have everything? Look around again just to be sure. No, I'm sure. I can't take much with me anyway. It's only three rooms you know. She points to a large cardboard box on the doorstep. It is filled with pictures and books. Upon it sits a frame of military medals and decorations. Okay. Grab the box and let's go she replies. He puts the box into the trunk of her car along with several others, and they both get in. 35 years, gone in a flash. Jack mutters to himself as they drive. What? I was just thinking out loud. He reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out an envelope, which he opens. As he begins to read its unfolded contents, Jane looks over at him. What's that dad? Kinda funny. This is the last piece of mail that I get at my house, and it's the last of your mother's medical bills. Do you have enough to pay it? Just as soon as the house closes, I will. Might even have a little bit left over to buy a couple of boxes of cigars he laughs. Whatever happened to the medical insurance? That got cut off when I left Tyron and, your mother's pre-existing condition as they called it, made getting coverage on my own impossible he explains bitterly. They ride some in silence, as Jack refolds the bill and stuffs it back into his pocket. Are you sure you don't want to stay with us? You know I can't do that honey, Jack answers solemnly. The thoughts and images flash through his mind almost daily. At times, they nag him to near exhaustion. He is starting to realize that only retribution can set him free of the malignant recollections. They incessantly gnaw at him and, although he consciously rejects the idea of vengeance, he knows, deep down it is his only path to deliverance from this angst, which continually besets him. Then, the ringing of the telephone suddenly startles him out of his trance-like thoughts. Dad! Did you see the TV today? No, he replies. Turn it on. They have the verdict. Okay. Jack hangs up the phone and snaps on the TV. This latest news bulletin. James Wheeler, Hal Meter and several other high-ranking executives, who were found guilty in the collapse of Tyron have been sentenced today. Mr. Wheeler who has been free on bail for the past year has been sentenced to six months in jail in order to pay a $10,000 fine. Meter, and those others convicted each received fines of up to $5,000, and have been ordered to carry out three months of community service. Judge Arthur Gavin instructed Mr. Wheeler to report to jail in two weeks, deferring to his attorney's request for more time so that he may get his affairs in order. Here comes John Hurley, Wheeler's lawyer now. Mr. Hurley, can you give us your opinion of today's sentencing? I think Judge Gavin was extremely fair and justice prevailed. The judge's sentence speaks for itself. I have no more to say. Thank you. Jack rocks back in his chair and clicks off the TV as his stomach churns. A feeling of sickness overcomes him. Swallowing hard, he drags his hands over his face. Six months and ten thousand dollars. Jack repeats the words to himself. Justice prevailed. Extremely fair. 
The words continue to echo over and over in his head amplifying on each rebound. The phone rings again. Some bullshit. What do you think, dad? Well, it's the way things go, Jack replies bitterly. Justice in America isn't based on black or white, as some people would have you think. It's based on green. I guess it's always been this way. Maybe someday it'll change, but I'm not so sure. Not unless someone makes it happen. You're right, dad. Have you thought any more about my idea of you moving in with us? You know how I hate to see you living down there. I worry every day. I know the neighborhood, or should I just call it the hood? It's really unsafe and I worry. Listen honey, we've been over this a million times. I'm not about to give up my self-respect. I really appreciate your concern and your offer, but I can't. I know this area isn't the best but I'm okay. I just watch my step and it works out fine. So, don't worry about me. I'll be okay, Jack answers. But, Dad. Now let's not talk about it anymore, Jack interrupts and changes the conversation. How's the kids? They're good. I'll call you tomorrow. Bye, Dad. I love you.